I think it was Joan Rivers who first said, Can we talk? We have been talking ever since, and talking has become a marvelous way for us to both share our innermost secrets and also cover them up if we have to. People like to talk, and especially they like to talk about themselves. Well, I'm going to have a whole lot of very, very interesting people for you to meet. This is Last Call with Jim McCrell. Jim explores each guest's story to find the key to their success and the pitfalls along the way. These dialogues usually spoken privately and in confidence, but the guests are willing to tell all of the secrets to their success and the detours along the journey that made them nearly almost give up. Here is Jim McCrell with the last call for today's guest. Well, guess what? I'm going to be the first guest. Why not? I'm going to share with you my life all the way from Little Rock, Arkansas, back to Houston, Texas, with stops in Burbank, New York, Boston, Miami, and New Orleans. I've had a wonderful time, and I'm going to share it with you. I wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for a five-year-old kid in Little Rock, Arkansas, a long time ago, who got a chance to go to work. That five-year-old would be me, and my dad had a radio program that was on daily from KLRA in Little Rock, Arkansas, 1942. The world was at war with Nazi Germany and with Japan, and the doom and gloom was just settling all over all of us. It was a very, very tough time. But to a five-year-old who got to go to work with his dad, it was just another wonderful day. He picked me up and put me on a stool and arranged a microphone right about my head and the piano player started playing and I started singing, You Are My Sunshine. It was my debut. It was my entrance into show business. At the time, my dad was running for governor. 1948, and uh, that was not very successful on his part, and uh, we left Arkansas and went to New Orleans, where he had a job at a radio station called WWEZ. Well, at about 12 years old, Dad took another job with another station in New Orleans called WJMR, and it was in the beautiful Jung Hotel on Canal Street. And again, I went to work with my dad, and I became the junior announcer. It was so exciting because there were big stars that played the big room at the Jung Hotel, and one of them in particular that I got to see on a Saturday afternoon was Rudy Valley. He was there on behalf of Prell Shampoo, and I saw, for the first time, a big-time Hollywood star and said to myself, boy, I want to do that. Because of my dad's association with radio, it was in my blood. 
And when I was like 15 years old, I got a job because we had moved across the lake from New Orleans to a place called Mandeville, Louisiana, and I was going to school at Covington High School. And along with that, I got a job at a radio station near Covington called WARB. The land that the radio station was on was next to this palatial farm owned by none other than Louis Prima and his wife, Keely Smith, who was enjoying one of the big hit songs of the day called I Wish You Love. Well, I didn't know any better. I picked up the phone, got their phone number, and called and asked Keeley if she would <laughs> walk across the highway and come to the radio station and let me interview her. And she did, and she was delightful. In fact, much, much later, when I was in Hollywood, I got to chat with Keeley. She was at a, a, a restaurant that I, I loved, and <laughs> we talked about that time in New Orleans, I found out I was 16 years old and didn't know that Keeley was only 18, but she was a big star. Well, as I progressed from that radio station in Covington, Louisiana, I followed my nose, went to Biloxi, Mississippi for WLOX, and moved all the way around to when I came down to back in, in uh, Mandeville, and got a job at a radio station called KXOL in Fort Worth, Texas. KXOL will always be near to my heart. The general manager was a man named Earl Fletcher, and he had assembled a staff, of which I was one and very, very proud to be, but a staff that would go on to really make broadcast history. One of the newsmen had just graduated TCU, and his name was Bob Schieffer. Yep, White House news correspondent, eventually. Roy Eaton, Bill Ennis of ABC Sports, Bruce Neal, Bob Bruton, and a host of others, and... A young disc jockey that was hired right out of the Air Force in Shreveport to come to KXOL and host the Coca-Cola Dance Party. Well, he called it the Coca-Cola Dance Party. And he could say anything he wanted because his name was George Carlin. That's right, the same George Carlin. He met a newsman there by the name of Jack Burns and they and Carlin. They practiced their comedy at an all-night place in Fort Worth called The Cellar. And they were a big, big hit. After The Cellar, they would head over to my apartment where my wife Kathy had cooked something good and we would have dinner about 2.30 or 3 in the morning. And they would write comedy up until dawn. What a great time. George remained a friend right up until he died. I saw him a couple of weeks before. and He will always be missed. He is, I think, one of the great comedy minds of all time. And certainly 
a philosopher, that George Carlin. Well, my time at KXOL was cut short since uh, when George left, I left because of a call from Bud Connell at guess where? W-N-O-E in New Orleans, my dream station. And here I was getting hired to be a disc jockey slash newsman on the 50,000-watt powerhouse of Bud Connell called WNOE. It was just much, much fun. Well, Bud was very successful, and because of that, Bud was uh, appointed program manager and general manager, or our station manager, of a radio station that we put on the air. I went with him to Miami, Florida, and he built a station called WFUN. It was so good that it deposed the number one station, WQAM, in only 30 days. We went to the top. WFUN, I can still hear the jingle, WWFUN Miami. It was great. Bud went on and continued his career in St. Louis, and I went back to Dallas to a radio station that was very famous in the Dallas area called K-Box. There's where I met Chuck Dunaway and uh, all the people that I've known uh, for all of these years from K-Box. It was great. And unbeknownst to me, one night when I was on the air, a man got off an airplane in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth and was driving into Dallas and listening to to K-Box and heard my broadcast and decided I would be a good fit at WMEX in Boston. And so Kathy and I loaded up, (laughs) as most disc jockeys did, our U-Haul at Trailer, took my Joey and my daughter Lisa and set out for Beantown. WMEX. And I did the afternoon show from 2 to 6. And here's what it sounded like. Kansas City, then the big brand new one by the Pixies 3, called It's Gonna Be a Cold, Cold Winter, you hear me? (laughs) That broadcast was uh, at the end of 1963. It was a terrible year. Certainly was for me. Because if you'll remember in 1963 in Dallas, Texas, while I was in Boston, Massachusetts, a man named Lee Harvey Oswald put our whole nation and world back to square one by eliminating the young president of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. It really affected me. It affected me so much that I was having a tough time trying to be a good-time disc jockey. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And because of that, I got a chance to have dinner with a man named John Rossica, who was national promotion director of RCA Victor, and a great guy, 
a very, very great guy. And while he and Kathy and I had dinner at one of Boston's finer restaurants, I thought, John, how can I do what you do? He looked at me and he said, you're, you're on the number one show in Boston on WMEX. Why do you want to do what I do? And I said, because I do. And I, I, I love the music, but I just don't want to be a disc jockey anymore. He understood, and a couple of weeks later, I was flown to New York to meet Ben Rosner and Steve Scholes and was hired by RCA and sent back to Texas, which really made me happy. I got to meet almost all of the big RCA stars. One in particular was Henry Mancini. And when he came to Texas, he did a lot of concerts between El Paso and San Antonio and Fort Worth and Dallas and Houston. And it was on one of those tours that I worked with him in Dallas and set up all of his interviews to promote the concert. Hank and I sat there from like 7 o'clock in the morning <laughs> all day while Henry was being interviewed over and over again and asked many, many times, gee, Mr. Mancini, how did you write Moon River? Well, it seems that one of the disc jockeys uh, from WFAA in Dallas couldn't make it and had to cancel at the last moment, and that left Henry Mancini and I with a whole hour to do nothing but sit and stare at each other and uh, carry on a conversation. Henry said to me, Jimmy, what do you, what do you really want to do with your life? What, what, what is your deepest dreams? And I said, well, truthfully, I would love to be an actor. He said, well, you need to be in Los Angeles or New York to do that. And I said, well, I've got two kids, and they are both very fond of eating, and uh, I can't hardly do it. And he said, don't worry about that. Things change. And boy, was he right. Things change. Three weeks from that time, a phone rang in my house, and I picked it up, and it was a gentleman by the name of Larry Shane, who identified himself as Henry Mancini's business partner and asked Kathy and I to come down from Dallas to Houston and have dinner with him. We agreed. About the time we were being served the salad, Larry said, let's cut to the chase. Henry wants you to come to Los Angeles and work for us. And I said, boy, give me five or ten seconds to think about that, looked at Kathy. She was smiling and nodding her head, and away we went. There I was, shortly thereafter, in Hollywood, in the offices of Henry Mancini at Sunset and Vine. It was a magic time, as only Hollywood can be. I just enjoyed every waking moment of being affiliated with the marvelous maestro Henry Mancini. My life was charmed, I thought. I got to know people in the music business, Al Schmidt and uh, Dickie Glasser, and 
I got to know Ron, uh, Ron Bledsoe and uh, the people at Liberty, my dear friend Dave Pell. They all shepherded me through the learning process of what it meant to be in Los Angeles, California, the music capital of the world at that time. It was just marvelous. The stories that I learned and the stories that I heard and the stories that I can tell about working in the music business in Hollywood are just too numerous and too wonderful to ever forget. That's where we'll pick up the story on episode two of Last Call, Burbank to Houston. You've been a part of Jim McCrell's Last Call. Any opinions or views expressed by the guest do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Last Call host or staff. Last Call is a creation of Fernhurst Productions. Join us next week. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay informed of the next guest who will answer the last call. Well, that was our first podcast, and I have a whole list of people to thank for making this a reality. First of all, my lovely daughter, Katie, who schools me in computer science almost every day. And there again, there is the sound of the music from my nephew, Max Serla, who has a very successful music career in New York City, composing for television and the movies. Max, thank you, my friend. And our announcer was Joe Ford. I met Joe Ford when Kathy and I worked at a station called KATR in Corpus Christi, Texas, And Joe was just getting into radio, and look at him now. He had a great success in Houston at K-News and also at K-I-L-T, the big station from Gordon McClendon. Joe Ford is now a voiceover person heard all over the United States. Well, this podcast has been a very important thing for me. And one of the reasons we started it is because of my love for books and my love for writing. I penned a novel called Glass of Lies, and it is a bittersweet tale about a young couple just fresh out of Bible school who got a call to a radio, uh, to a, a church in northeast Texas, and his life just went up, up, and down, down, down at the same time. It's a bittersweet story about love and redemption and recovery. And it's going to hit all of those people right in the eye that think that having another toddy would be a good thing because it shows all too well the, the terrible destruction that alcohol confess. Well, that's another conversation, and we'll have that one on Last Call. Thank you for listening, and uh, I hope to see you again.